Good morning, everybody. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. And let's come before the Lord in prayer. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, it's a joy to be here this morning as your people, to worship you in song, to come before you in prayer, to read your word, to study your word now, Lord, and, and to just have time together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you for that. We pray that you'd bless the kids in the children's ministry, Lord. May they grow in their love and their knowledge of you. May they feel the love of Christ through each and every Sunday school teacher. I pray that, that they would leave this church on this morning having great thoughts about their Lord and their Savior. And may the same take place for us here in the sanctuary. Cause us to grow this morning. Cause us to have worshipful thoughts towards you, Lord. And may, may every part of, of this day glorify you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the course of, of my lifetime, I've been blessed with being able to, to do lots of mission trips. Um, some into areas where I know my mom would have preferred me not to go to. Places like South Sudan in the midst of war or, or China or Vietnam or Myanmar and Indonesia and Pakistan and, and Khartoum and areas where um, it's just not a safe place to be a Christian most of the time. And you might think, like, wow, that's really brave, that, that he must not be that afraid of stuff. And, and I think that when it comes to doing things for God's glory and for the kingdom and for the proclamation of the gospel, the Lord grants boldness. However, I am someone who likes to be safe. I'm not going to be the guy that dies because I took a selfie on the edge of the Grand Canyon. That, that will, I will never go to the other side of the guardrail. Ever. I'm the guy that thinks, if I even look over, I'll probably faint. And then come to right before my face hits the bottom. That scares me. I would never, ever do that. Or have my kids anywhere near that. One of the members of our church, I saw a video of his daughter who did a semester in Africa. And she is up on this, the high, I think the highest bungee jump ever and I think you you sign something saying beforehand like I have no discernment I'm going to do this and and once I go over this fence there's no turning back because she is screaming for her life like please don't make me do it please don't make you like you're watching this happen and the guy like whispers something to her and then just throws her off this thing and I asked the dad, I'm like, what, what were you thinking? He's like, I, I wanted to go over there and find that guy and punch him in the throat. I, I, and and I, all I think is, yeah, if my daughter signs up for a semester in Africa, guess what? I'm doing a semester in Africa too. <laughs> That's what's going to happen because, I mean, you know they bought that bungee cord on Craigslist in South Africa. It, it, it's horrific to think of like, don't do stuff where you can't sue them. Like, you, you don't do things like that in countries like that. You just don't. And we are so, we want to be safe. Our kids, like, 
we have trained them well that when you use a public restroom, if you have to, that's the last resort, but if you have to wash your hands, then take the paper towel and open the door with the paper towel because everything horrible is on that door handle. And so we train our kids like that. Someone in the congregation here, I won't tell you who it is, but I was visiting with them in the hospital and they were there as, as their wife was, was struggling and, and, and in the ER and he's stressed and I'm there with him, sitting in this little room and he's stressed and I just watch him. He's like rubbing his shoes with his hands just as his legs, his foot's on his, uh, over his knee and his legs are cro- crossing. He's just stressed and he's like talking to me and he's rubbing his, his shoes. <laughs> and then he, and I'm watching this thinking like, don't rub your shoes. Don't don't do that. And then I just watch him and he takes his hands, and he starts rubbing his face. And I'm like, brother, stop. Like I want to boil your face right now. You this is so I really want to tell them who you are right now, but I won't. But it was one of those things where I, I was just like, you kick I want to purel you. Like this this is bad. There's something wonderful about being safe feeling secure, feeling safe. Um, in our text, we find the Apostle Paul ministering to us in such a way to cause us to be able to see like our absolute security in Christ. You watch people sometimes like where, and maybe you grew up like this, but there, there are churches in which Somebody will come down the aisle almost weekly and feel like, I need to get saved all over again. Probably lost it this week. Um, People who think that way. People, when they, they think of eternity and they think of, will they go to heaven? They are not entirely sure, or maybe they think not. It's based on their performance. It's based on what they've done. It's based on how good their week was. It's based on whether they think that they've confessed everything that they possibly could confess or done everything that they possibly could do. I, I feel very confident as we look at the text before us this morning and several others that we as believers are very, very secure in Christ. Uh, the majority of your handout that's in your bulletin came from one that I did previously, and I, I doubt that we'll be able to get through the whole thing this morning. But I want it to be there for you as a, a, a bit of a reference to, to be a blessing to you as you think on these things. If you're someone who at times will struggle with just, am I secure? Is my salvation secure? I pray that this would be a, a, a wonderful, wonderful text for you to look at. Um, remember that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, is one sentence. It's one sentence. And we've been taking it apart piece by piece, and we're going to finish that sentence this morning. But I want to look at it it's in, in its entirety and just make a couple of comments as we go through. And ask yourself as you're going through this, does Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he writes his things, 
feel secure in his relationship with Christ in his salvation. Um, secondly, as the Holy Spirit was inspiring him to write these things, is he inspiring him to write these things so that we sitting here this morning might feel secure in our salvation? And I think so. Let's look at verse 3 as, as we consider our text. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Stop there for a moment. Now remember that as he begins this, he has blessed us with every, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then we find a list after that of, of what these blessings look like. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. A radical, radical doctrine here. Chose us before the foundations of the world. Before anything. Before you had ever done anything good or bad. Before anything. Before the foundations of the world chosen by God. Makes it clear here. The text is so clear in what it's saying. What did he choose us for? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He chose you before he ever created anything. That you would be holy and without blame. It's awesome to think about. Before God ever created anything in this universe... He knew you, he chose you, that you would be holy without sin and without blame before him in love. He goes from there, second blessing. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, adopted into his family, by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Adopted, brought into his family. Why? According to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. And he's made you accepted in the beloved. Verse 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood. Been purchased ransomed, redeemed through his precious blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. It's abounding towards us. Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth in him. Now here our text begins for this morning. In him. In him. That phrase, in Christ, or in him, or in Christ Jesus, is used by the Apostle Paul 169 times throughout his epistles. It's central to everything that he says. We are in him. And so he tells us, 
in him we also or in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now going back to verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. He's talking with Christians and saying it is something that you have obtained. You have an inheritance. Being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. A God that works all things according to the counsel of his will. There, there's nothing too hard for him. There's no one that can stop him. He always makes his will come about, and this is what he does. You've been predestined. How? According to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. It makes me feel safe. It makes me feel safe to know that I have already obtained an inheritance. That I was predestined. Once again, he brings this up. According to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Not according to whether or not I can do it. It's him. That we who first trusted in Christ, should be to the praise of his glory. There's faith that is involved in this as far as trusting, believing in Christ, placing our faith in Christ. It's absolutely essential to our salvation that there's faith. We recognize that that faith comes by the Holy Spirit working in our hearts, changing our hearts, giving us new hearts, opening up our eyes, enabling us, to hear the word and his word not returning void and God causing that seed to be planted and, and him making us new creations in him. But there is a trusting in Christ that is there. We who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, and we see this salvation process take place as far as we know that we've been chosen from the foundations of the world. We know that he is working all these things to the praise of his glory. But as we think of these things and we think of our salvation in him, you also trusted. Right? You're here this morning because you trust Christ to save you from your sins. You trust Christ to be your Lord and your God. There's genuine faith in Christ. And so he's talking to believers, all believers. You trusted him. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you heard it. There's a proclamation of the word that went forth. Faith came by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, the, the, the gospel went forth as, 
as your mom shared with you on your, at your bedside or your dad or your grandparents or in a sermon or wherever it is that you were, you heard the word. You heard the gospel. You trusted. In whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. He's writing this to believers, those who trusted in Christ, whose faith are in Christ. They hear these things, and it is all-inclusive of all of us that through faith in him, whether you're Jew or Greek, whether you're male or female, regardless of your background, You trusted in him. And he tells us the work of the Holy Spirit. He sealed you. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is the guarantee to our inheritance. The guarantee comes from God himself. The Holy Spirit placed within us. And that guarantee will continue until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. That phrase comes up again, to the praise of his glory. You will be there. He will finish the work that he began in you. And it will be to the praise of his glory. Security that we have in Christ. Jonathan Edwards wrote that, the doctrine, referring to this doctrine, the doctrine has often appeared exceedingly pleasant, bright, and sweet. Absolute sovereignty is what I love to ascribe to God. When I think of the sovereignty of God, the absolute sovereignty of God, it's exceedingly pleasant, bright, and sweet. To think on these things is exceedingly pleasant for us and bright and sweet, to feel safe in the arms of an absolutely sovereign God. He's done the work. He'll finish the work. This is all throughout Scripture. And, and so if you, if you live in a place where you're constantly in doubt, should I walk the aisle again? Should I do this again? Have I lost my salvation? Am I secure? I pray that that going through what we're going to look at this morning would just put nails in that coffin all the way around to the point where it's dead. The idea of losing your salvation is dead to you. You're safe. It's not so that you'll live however you want to live. We'll look at that in a little bit. It's not eternal security that's once saved, always saved, and hey, you, you, you walk that aisle, no matter what, you're saved. That's, that's not what we're teaching. It's not what I believe the Bible te- teaches. What we believe is that there is a perseverance that takes place of the saints. It's a perseverance that will continue to where if you are a believer, you will persevere to the end. If you do not, you are never of us. Many of you could probably think of somebody who are like, no, I, mean, I know that guy, he was... He was saved. I mean, I, he, he seemed like he was saved. And, and he fell away. What, what happened to him? Because now he's doing something radically different 
doesn't have any faith in Christ, and we'll address that as we come to the close of our sermon. There are people that fall into that category, and what Scripture teaches us is they were never of us. If you are a believer, you will persevere. And if you're at a place right now where your faith isn't in Christ, you don't trust him. You don't think, I am saved because his blood covers my sin. He took my sin upon himself and he gave me his righteousness that he's done this. If that is not where you're at, there should be zero security for you. Zero feeling safe for you. This is only for the person who is persevering, continues. You believe in Christ. And what we believe is that takes place as a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He causes us to persevere. Look at your handout that's there. The first thing I want to make note of is that the Christian is sealed by the Holy Spirit. This is said in our text this morning, as well as in multiple other texts, and here's just a couple of them. 2 Corinthians one twenty one. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. He has sealed you. Ephesians 4.30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 2 Corinthians 5.5, Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. It's a guarantee. It's something that, that enables us to feel secure because he, the Holy Spirit, has sealed us until the day of redemption. Makes it so that you will continue until the day when you are, your body is redeemed into heaven. The next thing I want to notice, to take note of is that God is able and willing to work all things, including our hearts, to his will. He's able to do that. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. I love that. I can make a wreck of the whole thing. I don't trust myself at all. To be in a place where I can read a text like this, he is going to sanctify me completely. He's going to do that. So that my whole spirit, my soul, my body, will be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. Who also will do it. He will do that thing. Look at Jude one twenty four. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. I love that the Lord is able to keep me from stumbling to a place of destruction. He can keep me from that place. Keep you from that place. If if within your flesh there is a desire to just go and run in the opposite direction, God is able to keep you from doing that. 
And hasn't he? You're still here, right? You still believe, right? Your faith is still in him. He has done that. The glory goes to him. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. The basis of our safety is in him, his faithfulness, not us. Look at Romans 14.4. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Now, does anybody read things like this and think, like, I don't like that. He violates my will. We don't think like that, do we? Anybody care about having your will violated to where God keeps you to the very end? No, I, I just say, make my will your will. Make your will my will. Violate me all you want so that I continue to the end. I want you to do that. I want your sovereign hand over my life to keep me from stumbling. Make it so that you change my heart. Make it so you change my direction. Make it so my eyes stay fixed upon you. God is able to make him stand. Look at John 1.12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born of God, or who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He gave you the right to become children of God, but he's also made it so that you were born of God. There's a change that took place. Look at Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. He does that. Jeremiah 32.40. And I'll make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. Yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good. I will assuredly plant them in this land. With all my heart and with all my soul, it makes me feel safe. I will put my fear in their hearts so they will not depart from me. Hebrews thirteen twenty. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will. Working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He makes you complete in every good work to do his will. The Holy Spirit resides in the believer. He's changed you radically. Your affections are different. It doesn't mean that we aren't prone to wander, as Jonathan Keane said when he was up here praying. Our hearts are prone to wander. You're prone to, to go after things that you should never go after. But what, what do we see in Scripture? We see God leaving the 90 and 9 and going after the one sheep that went astray. He does it over and over again. He loves you, and he will go and discipline those that he loves, and he'll bring you back, and he cares for you. 
He does this. A sovereign God that's absolutely involved in our lives that he will cause you to persevere to the end. The one who's truly born again will endure to the end. Look at John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. The one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. There is just this confidence that is there where God says, I will do this. Of all that he has given me, I will lose none of them. None of them. I won't lose any of them. The certainty of our salvation is found in the fact that when Christ died, we died with him. So picture this. Romans 6, 5 says this. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. It goes on in verse 8 and says this. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. You died with him. When he died on the cross, you died with him. Awesome thing that took place. The wrath that you deserved and the wrath that I deserved was placed upon Christ and you died with him. Hebrews 10.10 says, By that will we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You died with him. In verse 14 of Hebrews 10 it says, For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And then Galatians 2.20 says this, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When he was crucified, I was crucified with him. That's what took place. Christian salvation is guaranteed by the resurrection of Christ. Our inheritance cannot be destroyed. Our salvation is kept by the power of God, not by our own strength. Look at 1 Peter 3, 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance, and this is the inheritance that we've been looking at in Ephesians 1. It's an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled, and it does not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You are kept by the power of God through faith. It's the power of an almighty, all-powerful God that keeps you. We're told that God completes the work he began. Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I love that verse. He began a work in me. He began a good work in me. And I could be confident, I'm told, of this thing. That he who began that work 
will complete it. He'll finish it. Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He is the author and the finisher. Romans 8, 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? There's this confidence that's there, like where you're putting nails in this coffin, going around your insecurity and looking at it. It's like, he did this. He foreknew you. He predestined you. He called you. He justified you, and he will also glorify you. Every one of those things is mentioned. Nowhere in this text does it say, and some of you that he justified. It's all of you. It's all of us. He will do that. We're not under the law, but under grace. Therefore, how can we be condemned for having violated the law? God would have to put us back under the system of the law. In Romans eleven five, even so then, at this present time, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it's no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. And if... It is of works, it is no longer grace, otherwise work is no longer work. There's an election of grace that's taken place. Guess what, brothers and sisters? You're under that. Do you, what, what we're saying here is this, is that if you're no longer under the law, but you're now under grace, for you to lose your salvation... God would have to take you from being in that place of being under grace and saying, okay, well, I'm going to remove you from being under grace and I'm going to put you back under the law again. He doesn't do that. He says you're, you're no longer under the law, but under grace. The way God loves us, it's eternal. It's unchanging. If he loved us when we were sinners with no righteousness of our own, why would he, his love cease now that we've been made righteous and brought to a, a place of peace with him? Think about that. What were you like before you were a believer? Not good, right? Not good. Did he love you then? While you were yet a sinner, did he love you? So if he loved you when you were like that, Is he going to stop loving you because you did this? I mean, if, if he loved you when you were dead in your sins and trespasses, does his love change to where it's like, uh, I didn't expect that. I don't love you the same way anymore. It, it just doesn't make sense in light of all of Scripture. 
Look at the text before us here, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than now having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were sinners, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Jeremiah 31 tells us, I've loved you with an everlasting love. And that's the way it looks. The gifts of God are unable to be improved upon. They're unending and they do not, he does not take them away. Romans 8, 32, he did not, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If he gave us his son, doesn't it make sense that he will freely give you all things at this point? Ephesians 1.3, as we've been looking at in our study in Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I don't feel like I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing if at this point I've lost my salvation. Where would happen to that one? That would be a good one, right? To make it so that I can't lose that? Every spiritual blessing is what we've been blessed with, which he tells us we have been blessed with. And then obviously, amazing verse, Romans eleven twenty nine. for the gifts and the calling of God are what? Irrevocable. Powerful. The Christian is no longer dead in sins, but has everlasting life. And you will find this over and over and over again in Scripture. Everlasting life. I give them eternal life. John 10, 28. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I have heard people preach on this text. And they say, Christ holds you in his hand. And his Father who also holds you in his hand, and there's no one that can snatch you away. But then they say, but it doesn't say that you can't jump. And my response to that is, yes, it does. If it tells me, I give them what? Eternal life. It's eternal. Not only that, it says, and they shall never perish. You can't jump out. If you're truly a believer in Christ, if you have faith that the Holy Spirit resides in you. If you've been made a new creation, you will continue till the end. It doesn't mean there's not going to be times of sin. It doesn't mean there's not even seasons of sin. It doesn't mean that you're not prone to wander. But he who began a good work and you'll be faithful to complete it. It's awesome. He tells us, neither shall you ever perish. You are secure. John 5.24, Most assuredly, I say to you that he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has what? everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but is passed from death unto life. Over and over again in Scripture you find that we have what is called everlasting or eternal life. Let's look at the next heading there. There is nothing that could ever separate the Christian from the love of God. 
Romans 8.33, who could bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died and is furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall dis- tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long and we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor death nor any other created thing shall be able to what? Separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you read texts like this, it should just scream out, you are safe in his love. He didn't leave out anything there as far as things that could separate you from his love. Not only that, but you think of Paul where he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 1.21. What should I choose? I can't tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. The desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, nevertheless remain in the flesh is more needful for you. If I'm Paul and I think I could lose my salvation, guess what? This is how my brain works. I don't know how yours would work. But if I thought I could lose my salvation, I would say, I'm not really hard-pressed between the two. Right now, I'm doing really well. I want to die now. I want to take a chance. Like, what if I could mess this whole thing up? Like, take me now. Now, now I'm secure. Now I'm safe. I'm doing really well. Still trusting in you. Still have faith in you. Take me now. And he's like, no, I don't know. Probably it's more needful for me to be here, but way better to be with him. And I don't know what I would choose. There'd be zero struggle for me if I thought like, how many more times can I be left out at sea before I have a tr- trouble with all this? How many more times can you throw rocks at me to where it hurts super bad and I think I'm going to die and then I somehow survive? How many more times can I be thrown into prison and still just hang in there? That's not his. He's like, I'd way rather be with him, but I think it's more important for me to be here. I struggle between the two. We already looked at that he's the shepherd that goes after the 99 that have gone astray. Also, 1 John 3, 9 tells us this, whoever's been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. He cannot sin because he's been born of God. And that, that doesn't mean that you don't sin at all. It means that you cannot live in habitual, unrepentant, continual sin. There's hatred for the sin. There's a desire to repent and to change. In Jonathan Edwards' resolutions, one of the things that he says is that never to give up on my fighting with sin, regardless of how unsuccessful I am. And there's that in us, right? You, you may struggle with the same sin over and over again, but you, you hate that sin. You don't want to continue in that sin. You want to do right. You want to live in a way that's pleasing to him and, and to where you're saying, I don't ever want to stop fighting that sin, regardless of how unsuccessful I am, because I just want to please him. That desire is not from you, but it is from the Holy Spirit within you. Matthew 18 talks about church discipline. It makes it clear that when there's discipline that takes place, the believer will repent and come back. Um, If they don't repent... You're to cast them out of the church and treat them like a heathen or unbeliever. 
Because a believer will repent. It's within our heart. God convicts us. God does that. Before we look at this next thing, I just want to take, I'm going to add to this just for a moment. If you could lose your salvation, think of this. You who were adopted into his family are no longer adopted. You have been, who have been made a new creation in Christ are now back to being an old creation. You who the Holy Spirit has come and taken over and resides in your heart, he has left you now. You who have been washed by the blood of Christ of every sin you've ever committed or ever will commit, it's now put back on your account. You who have been made his bride are no longer his bride. You who have been given eternal life, it's no longer eternal. You start going through and you look at it, it is so clear in Scripture that this is what God has done and he has the power to do this and he has the power to keep you. He made you a new creation. He's washed your sins away. He's given you an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, doesn't fade away, reserved in heaven for you, kept by the very power of God until the day of redemption. He does these things to where for us as believers, we should feel safe. There's a freedom that comes with feeling safe that's glorious. It makes you love him. If I'm always afraid I'm going to get beat by my dad, he goes to put his arm around me and I'm going to do that. Why? Because that hand has hit me so many times hard that I'm scared of him. But to be in a place where that is not the way you react to your Heavenly Father, you react to him instead in such a way of, he loved me. Even in my worst circumstance, he loved me. He's changed me. He began this work in me and he'll be faithful to complete it. He's a good shepherd. He leaves the 99 and comes after me. I'm safe with him. I'm secure with him. It's not based on, am I a good enough son? Have I done enough? It's based on the fact that he is good enough and he has an everlasting love. He has accomplished this. He has sealed me until the day of redemption. In him, you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. At the end, it is to the praise of his glory that it's been accomplished. What about the person that fell away? John 2, 19. They went out from us because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. They didn't lose their salvation. They weren't believers. Matthew seven twenty two. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. It wasn't that I knew you, but then you did something that I did not expect. 
2 Timothy 2.18, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. He knows those who are his. So run from sin. You belong to him. To me, this is good news. To me, I look through verses like this and I feel very, very safe in his arms. Again, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every one of them. Chosen before the foundations of the world that you'd be holy and without blame. Predestined to be adopted as sons. Made accepted in the beloved. You've been redeemed by his blood. You've been forgiven of your sins. And it's been in accordance with the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us. He made known to you the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure. He'll gather us all together. We have an inheritance because it is predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. You trust him. You heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed. He's the guarantee of your inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. I feel secure by this text because I believe in him. Trust him. Do you? If you're here this morning and you're saying, I don't believe in him and I don't trust in him. I pray that the Holy Spirit would work in your heart this morning to show you that you're in desperate need of forgiveness. You're covered in sin. You're under the wrath of God. And you have no ability to stand before him. You're in desperate need of salvation. And he tells you that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Through faith in him, trusting in him, believing in him, the outcome of true and genuine faith is that you are sealed until the day of redemption. It's glorious. If you've gone about your life and you always thought, oh, I'm okay, because my, my grandfather was Baptist. My grandma was Presbyterian. I'm someplace in between. I'm okay. But you live just like the world lives, and there is no conviction of sin. There's no repentance. There's no hatred for sin. There's no desire to please him. Don't have security in your salvation. But believe upon him today. There's a reason why you're here. And the Holy Spirit can work and change you radically. If you're here this morning and you just trust him, you love him, your life's far from perfect. 
but you believe in him? Uh, may you feel very, very secure this morning. If you're scared of germs or bungee cords, that's just wisdom. But you do not need to be scared of where you'll spend eternity. You're safe in the arms of a sovereign, absolutely sovereign God that began a good work in you, and he will, he will be faithful to complete it. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, what it is to be secure in you. I pray that there would not be one person that leaves this sanctuary this morning without knowing, without a doubt, that they belong to you. May sin be confessed. May our hearts be full of trusting and faith in you. May we be in a place of trusting in your absolute sovereignty to finish the work you began in us. May we look forward to heaven spending eternity with you. Not based on our merit, but based on your merit. Not based on our strength, but based on your strength. Not based on our faithfulness, but upon your faithfulness. Not based upon the way that we love you, but based upon the way that you love us. And may all of that stir within us more and more love towards our Lord, towards our God, towards our our Savior, towards our Sovereign One. And may the fruit of that be lives that are lived for the one in whom we are very safe with and whom we adore. Now may our praises reflect those that have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise till the day of redemption, guaranteed by your Holy Spirit. May we be thankful for that this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.